0: Welcome back to the Bet On Yourself podcast. This is where we're continuing our conversation in season two of addressing some of the most frequently asked questions I receive from my CEO consulting clients all around the world. And today's episode is a fun one because I really tried to adapt it both to those of you who are hiring managers or startup founders, as well as individuals. Now, the theme today is about how to hire and get hired in high impact environments. This is also a way for us to talk about maximizing the power of your team that you might currently be sitting on or curating a new one, or as an individual, how you can make your life richer through purposefully curated, inspiring environments. So I'm really excited to dig into this because I think there's a lot of ways in which we can control this that might not otherwise uh, pop into mind. And the reason why I'm really excited about this is because I think in the pandemic, we have really come to realize the value of our time and new experiences, our options, our movements, our Our ability to be together has been so limited, and I think we're all really craving taking some control of this now that we have more ability to do so. I personally am craving a really nice uh, flight to somewhere beautiful. I live in somewhere really, really inspiring and beautiful, but I'm I'm craving something new, some new stimulus. And honestly, this is something I've been thinking about a lot recently and talking to several clients about, because there are ways where we literally can make each day not only richer, but time pass slower. So it's scientifically proven that familiarity makes time pass faster. We can slow down time by exposing ourselves to as many new experiences as possible by traveling to new places, giving ourselves new challenges, meeting new people, exposing our minds to new information, hobbies, skills, etc. The list is long. And this will increase the amount of information our minds are processing and that process, that mental capacity issue, is how we actually stretch out a perception of time. And in these new experiences, time passes by slower. Secondly, and perhaps most effectively, we can slow down time by making a conscious effort to be more mindful of our experiences. So mindfulness means giving our whole attention to an experience, to what we're seeing, feeling, tasting, smelling, hearing, using all of our senses, rather than just our thoughts. So think back to when you were a kid. Do you remember that time when it seemed like forever when your mom said just five more minutes? Or maybe you were put in time out for all of two minutes and it felt like an eternity? Or on the other hand, you really could enjoy that zone as a child when you were playing make believe and were really immersed in that almost spell-like capacity that kids have to play pretend and imagine things. And time seems to stand still when you get into that zone. So as we get older, adults we seem to lose our perception of this the imaginary really immersing ourselves fully into something getting into that flow state that that zone that we all crave so much in our in our work in our life and we kind of lose the ability to do this unless we're really mindful about it. There are some things that we can do to bring this back and this yes ties back into hiring and building up um, really effective teams because This comes back to surrounding ourselves with people and environments that challenge our current perspectives, offer new alternatives, and really give us that new stimulus. It makes life so much richer. So for example, if you wear the same perfume every day, I'm pretty sure that you can no longer smell it after the first two seconds you put it on. For example, have you ever like gone to the gym and had to borrow a friend's deodorant because you forgot to bring yours? And then all day you suddenly are smelling it, whereas yours you never notice? That's because our brain filters out all the information. It doesn't need to report to us over and over again the same stimuli. And so it notices it once and then off it goes. You don't need that on your radar. So time is experienced more, more slowly with new stimulus because it stretches out and gives us more of these mental markers across our day. And um, I've seen this in the business world as well. Eric Schmidt is a great example of a best practice here. He um, has a plaque on his desk that literally says, when possible, say yes. Now that plaque is not a motto about doing too much, it's about doing new and better things with his time, seeking out new challenges, uh, changing up his usual status quo as often as possible. Like literally even just walking or driving a different route to work or shaking up your routine in a really small way will help you form stronger memories and enjoy these new stimuli in a different way. So the single most important indicator of my happiness is really the people I surround myself with and my future success has always been predicted by the team assembled around me. So now as we're coming out of the pandemic and being really thoughtful and looking forward to having some together time with new faces and not just those that have been, we've been quarantined with or who have been in our bubble, let's be really purposeful and invite some of these new uh, situations, voices, faces, touches, smells, environments into our lives. So many of you have probably changed roles or companies or maybe even industries as a result of the pandemic or maybe you're realizing that you wish you had we're realizing that time is very very precious and nothing is to be wasted so have you realized that you want to pivot into something new maybe something more meaningful our our past podcast episodes have really been focused around finding our mission vision and values does your current role or environment or how you spend your time reflect those values that you've discovered So if you don't have options in your current job choice, you can still take some control and add in some new stimulus that makes your life richer and feel more full. And I think one great best practice is curating your personal tribe. We've touched on this a little bit in the past episodes of season two, but this is where we're um, recognizing that we are the average of the five people we spend most of our time with. So we want to be sure that that group is well curated and we want to build up a a network of mentors and supplement uh, maybe our teams available to us at work or maybe our families at home and really supplement that with people who will bring in new perspectives and inspiration. Or maybe you wanna think about it as setting up a personal board of directors. This can be the group of avatar mentors that you're following online, the people who are maybe your sponsors at work, like your manager or someone just a couple steps ahead of you in your career journey or the tribe of supportive friends that you have built around yourself. Maybe we also want to think about the influencers we follow. What images or messages and inspiration have you curated for yourself through social media or your Netflix queue or the books that you're reading? Do they build you up or do they tear you down? Do they inspire you to be your best self or do you get depressed and discouraged and uh, have your energy really zapped by that? I want to be thoughtful about uh, the stimulus that we're surrounding ourselves with. And the second key here is around building uh, opportunities outside of what might currently exist in our daily routines. Maybe if your core job right now doesn't have a lot of opportunities to experiment or explore new avenues or try new things, maybe you can do this by building a side hustle. So are you feeling value aligned in your work? Um, So let's think about our ethics and our passions, our morals, and see if this is really aligned with what we're contributing to our life and community. How are you spending your time? Do you develop your expertise outside of your work hours? There's been a fun book I recently read um, by Emma Gannon. Uh, It's called The Multi-Hyphen Method. And this is the less scary approach to those of you who might wanna dip your toe into entrepreneurial waters. Her whole premise is that you don't have to shake up your entire life right now to try out some new avenues and to develop new skills. The multi-hyphen method is about maybe starting a side hustle, although she actually doesn't like that word a whole lot. But you, um, this is where it's realizing that it's actually riskier not to take risks and level up and pivot than to just stay stagnant in our comfort zones where we are. So maybe this is creating multiple revenue streams for you. So you're diversifying your income stream. And then realizing that actually it's not so scary to just start a small side project because that's a place where you can experiment. The beauty of it is that no one's watching you yet. Nobody has to even know it's happening. So you can really experiment, make some mistakes, and learn really, really fast. And this will make our lives a little bit richer. So pivoting from just the individual contributors, for those of you who are hiring managers or building a team maybe for your startup or you're a mid-level manager and really wanting to up-level the quality of your team's output, hiring is essential. And this is a mistake I see happening a lot when, when companies aren't performing very well, or if there's a problem in, if they're not reaching their maximum capacity, this comes up over and over and over in my consulting, because people are the most important element of a company and a team. If you haven't hired people who are value aligned with you, you're going to run into a cascade of problems. So when you're hiring, it's really important to think about building a team with diversity for innovation and richer results. So we actually need to seek out candidates who offer a diversity of thought and backgrounds and experience. And beware of the temptation of hiring just for culture fit. Culture fit is really important, um, but culture fit should focus on how well the person's values align with your organization rather than just how well their personal characteristics like their gender, ethnicity, age, um, et cetera, align with the current workforce. And instead focus on the values. So the value fit leads to a better work product, more innovative solutions, longer working relationships. Goodness knows we don't want to like hire over and over again or worse, make a mistake and have to deal with firing. But all around you get better results when you focus on value fit rather than culture fit. I think it's just a more uh, accurate way of framing that desire for diverse voices in our team. So some hiring best practices that have served me well is really first focusing on translating Your core values into hiring standards or literally translating your value statements into hiring questions, the things you're evaluating when you're considering candidates. So don't be tempted by someone who just looks just like you or is like, oh, look, that's a mini me. That's me 10 years ago. I want them on my team. I think I've literally said that before about people I've hired. But what we really want is we don't want to conflate that uh, comfort zone with our with a judgment on culture fit. We want to look for and explore indications of our passion alignments, our our values fit. So for example, I might ask a question of, uh, this is actually one of my very favorite interview questions, where I ask candidates to tell me about a goal that took more than one year for them to accomplish. And I ask that question because not only is it a fun one, because I get to hear something that they were obviously passionate enough about to pursue it for more than a year, but it gives me a gauge into their grit and resourcefulness, how they pivot when they um, make some mistakes or endure a hardship. Do they seek out mentors proactively? It tells me a lot about them that helps me understand their core values. And if somebody actually doesn't have an example of a goal they set themselves for, that would take more than a year to accomplish. That also lets me know that maybe they're not right for the stage of company I'm at right now. We're in very early stage, growing really fast, and I need people who are resourceful, gritty, enjoy a challenge, and will just roll up their sleeves and get the right thing done. And I've learned a lot of these interviewing best practices by the companies I've worked at. When I was um, interviewing at Amazon back in 2002, Jeff Bezos only asked me two questions. Now, yes, this was after, I don't know, 15, 20 other people had interviewed me a little bit more traditionally, but he only asked me two questions. And the first was a brain teaser. He asked me first to estimate the number of panes of glass in the city of Seattle. And at the time, it kind of was strange no one had ever asked me a question like that in an interview before. Actually, I hadn't really done very many job interviews to that point in my life. But he asked me that because he was trying to evaluate my thought process. Was I able to dig into a really complex problem and break it down into manageable steps? Would I see it all the way through or would I get frustrated and want to quit? It told him a lot about me and how I handled that brain teaser. And the second question was just please tell me about yourself and why you want to work here, which again is getting at my value alignment, the passion that he could see when I talked about all the observations I had made during the hiring process and the projects that were exciting me. Those two questions told him a lot about me, so much that he took a chance on a 20 year old with zero experience and no tech expertise to sit at the desk closest to his in the company for those three years that I worked there. So then later, um, I was then recruited at Google after I'd moved to California for graduate school. And this process was kind of similar. They recruited me because I had a track record of similar values. I had a track record of success in high stress environments. They knew I had a thick skin to be able to handle the ebbs and flows. They knew i had had experience in war rooms, in really fast launch cycles, et cetera. So they knew that I was really value aligned. I was a good value fit for the, for their culture. But beyond that they also even though they recruited me and were trying to talk me out of leaving my phd program they actually made me take an exam it was pretty much the equivalent to the part of the lsat exam which is the law school entrance exam test where they give you brain teasers so here we go again with the brain teaser theme and so it was kind of those complex questions they would ask on the lsat which is, okay, imagine you have a dinner party and there's 12 people and person A can't be within three seats of person D and E must be uh, across from person F, for example, and really working out how to uh, solve that problem and make all of those rules fit. And Google uses things like that, again, for the same reasons that Jeff did at Amazon to get into the thought process how, um, how you handle complex problems, if you're collaborative, if you get frustrated, if you quit, if you love a challenge or if you get uh, flustered by it. So I passed the test and then the following interviews as well. And I loved working there. Honestly, they are as close to me as my own blood family because we were very, very value aligned. I worked gladly 18 hour days or came in on the weekends because I didn't want to miss it. It was the most fun I could think of having. Now, okay, no, not every second was like that. There was a lot of like drudgery or late nights that didn't feel like very value aligned. But overall, it really pulled me because I felt a passion for what we were building. And over my 12 years working at Google, I interviewed probably literally thousands of candidates who wanted to work at Google. It's, you know, we, we have the wonderful choice of a lot of people wanting to work there. And so I often was challenged to be the interviewer who was focusing on evaluating their Googliness now when you're interviewing at google this is actually a big category that they evaluate when they're considering hiring someone because their technical expertise are probably there similar gpas university experience etc but we're looking for that it factor that tells us that a candidate is really mission and value aligned So Googliness, those of you considering applying there one day, um, this will help you out. So they're looking for actually something that makes you a little quirky or a little weird. We want something that shows that you're really passionate about something and it does not matter what. For example, I interviewed somebody who was a world champion Lego sculpture artist. Did you know that was a thing? (laughs) I did not. Or we're looking for somebody who was, you know, um, maybe has some extreme sports as a hobby. If you're a triathlete, that tells me a lot about you. You're willing to sacrifice early mornings and sleeping in on a weekend for training or working up your stamina to do brick workouts, which is when you do a back-to-back, maybe a long run with a, a long swim, for example. So I was looking for things that stood out to me to tell me they were value aligned, that they were curious about really complex things, that they enjoyed problem solving. So any indication of those qualities is what I was looking for in measuring their Googliness. So when I was hiring for my team, I built up the team for Eric in the CEO's office and um, as executive chairman, and I really focused on this value alignment more than the skill set, honestly. And I brought in people who are very, very talented and had stellar skill sets. That honestly was a nice bonus. What I needed most were people who were going to be collaborative, gritty cooperative, self-motivated. I wanted somebody who was really, really competitive with themselves, but highly collaborative and supportive of their team. And that combination is really important because my business model, the way I uh, delegated on the team and held them accountable would only work with the right people. If I hired the wrong person, my business model for how we ran our team would have collapsed. And one of my favorite examples is when I was hiring uh Brian, who was my one of my closest teammates. He, Kim, Brian, and I were inseparable. We were three bodies, one brain, as one of the VPs described us. And I hired Brian remotely. And this was long before Zoom or before onboarding remotely was even a, a thing, an idea, let alone a common practice as it is now, like 10 years later. But he was working for a hedge fund CEO in London. And we agreed to become teammates that he was going to leave that company, move to the other side of the world over to California sight unseen. And so when he came on board and I saw this value alignment, that's why I brought him to the other side of the world. But what I really did um, to help him be not only value aligned, but really have the same best practices as the rest of the team was I spent his entire first week at the company. I had lined up meetings with the the key players all of our go-to experts and i wanted him to really have time before he was assigned tasks or really even digging into any of our projects i wanted him to build up those relationships of trust that were critical for getting things done at the company and so that was me expressing to him some of my value adds that i was investing in him and wanting to set him up for success and that he was trusting me enough that he moved from London to California to join our team. And it was really a match made in heaven that that team is uh, remains my favorite people in the world uh, even today. So the next part I want to talk about is choosing a co-founder. Now, whether or not you ever think you're going to do a formal startup, this still applies to you. So a co-founder can either be a formal Someone you're starting a company with, you're both taking the big risk of leaving your, your um, you know paycheck jobs, and you're going to take a risk in building something brand new together. But even if you stay in a traditional role, you can have a co-founder. And actually, it wasn't until I I was sketching out this podcast episode I realized I have done this even without realizing it. I have two to three people that I really consider a co-founder in this new adventure stage of my life right now. When I've left Google, I looked to them because they had started similar companies to mine. They were a few steps ahead of me in the journey, and they could balance me out in a few really important reasons. So here's three reasons to have a co-founder, whether you're starting a startup or really wanting to up-level in your own career progression. So the first reason is for productivity. You can get a lot more done when you have someone to divide up the work with or just kick ideas around with, like the mental work. If you can divide divide up that like creative thinking or problem solving or exploring all options, having somebody um, as a partner um, really helps you in that process. And you can get much better work done if you have a co-founder who maybe has a complementary skill set or, again, this diverse approach to their work where they can um, help you do things that you wouldn't have done alone. You can brainstorm with them and come up with better ideas that you could have alone, or you could have someone talk you out of a potentially bad idea. That's equally important. So you can get a lot of uplift in just the amount and quality of work you can do with a co-founder. So the second reason that this is worth investment is moral support. Let me tell you, startups, you know what I'm talking about. This is hard work. Startups are an incredibly intense and taxing journey, and it's great to have someone that you can learn from and who can support you during the rough times. You're going to need that pep talk. You're going to need the pick-me-up. And even if you're just doing a side hustle or really trying to learn a new skill or taking a class after work, it's helpful to have somebody who can uh, cheer you on in that process. And the best co-founder relationships are ones that really balance each other out. It's mutually beneficial to the two of you. The third reason I'm recommending a co-founder is it's pattern matching. Honestly, I'm just looking to some of the greats out there. When you think about some of the most innovative companies, they've all had co-founders, Apple, Facebook, Google, Microsoft, et cetera. They all had co-founders when they started. So there's got to be something in that secret sauce. So then it leads me to thinking about bringing on a co-founder. What should you be looking for in them? I think the single most important thing to know about someone before you start a company with them or before you consider yourselves like um, even soul sister co-founders in this journey called life, is that you really want to know before you start this journey with them how do they handle stress and the trick of this second point is the second most important thing is how well are they going to help you handle your stress i think if i just boil it down to one single thing the resource we need most as we're doing hard things is people to really help us with those stressful moments to cheer us on to give us a sanity check and um to root for us to to feel like we're not alone Honestly, I think a lot of my consulting clients come to me because it is very lonely at the top. That is not just a cliche. I see it in practice in every conversation, not just every client, like every conversation with every client. They really need the support. So gathering up our tribe, pulling together these experts, getting these new perspectives, more diverse experience into what we're doing is really essential. So even if you're not a startup, you can have a co-founder relationship looking for someone who challenges you, Someone who keeps you accountable for your goals and helps you handle the stress. Those are the three takeaways here. So let's make life a lot richer. Let's let each day feel longer in the best way possible. Let's feel more control about how much joy enters into our lives through mindful choices. We need to surround ourselves with the people and the environments which bring out the best in us. So that's my challenge for you this week is really set up uh, some patterns and best practices that make life feel richer and fuller and time pass more slowly in a, like a delicious and enriching way. And let's surround ourselves with people who cheer us on and support us and make us to our best selves. So until next week, I hope you go out there and make a big bet on yourself and surround yourself with a tribe that is doing the same.